uh, I want to take the next two weeks, I want to talk about Jesus, and makes sense, doesn't it? Um, but, but not the mystery of God coming as this little babe born in Bethlehem in what would have been the equivalent of a low-income garage, but the one who crushed the strongest evil forces that man has ever seen. It's, it's about God's light becoming much greater and stronger than hell's darkness so that we can move beyond that to eternal life. And I kind of want to take us beyond, and listen, I love the nativity scene, and I love the celebration of the babe from Bethlehem, but, but I want to move us a little bit beyond the sentimentalism of that uh, this week and next, and we're going to, our, our Christmas program, our, our New Year's Eve Christmas thing is going to be seeing Jesus through the eyes of a child, to see Christmas through the eyes of a child. But I do, I want to move beyond kind of the babe in swaddling clothes that we get so sentimental about and sing, oh, way in the manger. No crib for a bed. And I think what I would probably, if I was going to retitle this, I would say, let's get away from the manger. Let's see the Jesus away from the manger. So we're just going to walk through part of John chapter 1 today. It's called in a lot of Bibles, a lot of scholars call it the prologue. It's the introduction to the God-man. I love it because John does it. And he, it says in a couple of places, I think this is probably a little bit self-serving by him, but he notes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But it, there does seem to be a powerful, potent uh, expression of relationship between them. And we see that Jesus had the 70, and then he had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And it does seem that there's the possibility that maybe John walked a little bit closer with him in different areas. And... He was called the disciple of love. And you read that very clearly, not only through the gospel of John, where he talks about believe, believe. It's one of the prominent words, believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe. It's not just simply a mental assent, but it's where you really adhere yourself to him, to his teachings, and, and to his life. So this lover of Jesus, he opens the prologue of his gospel. His gospel was really meant for the whole world. It was meant for the Gentiles. Matthew was written to reach the Jews. Luke was written to reach the, the Greeks. And Mark was written specifically or predominantly to reach the Romans. But John is the writer to the Gentiles, to everybody beyond the Jews. And so he opens with this great statement that probably most of us kind of blow through and go, yeah, whatever. In the beginning was the word. What's powerful about that is that John enters into this prologue and he's basically saying that, well, he's always been. In the beginning, those are the very words that it starts out with in the, in the, in the Genesis creative narrative. And he's saying the same thing. Listen, Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. He didn't start at the creation. He was the creator. He's always been. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. It did not created. He has always been and always with God. Now, a little background on this Word, oh, Lagos, or Word. You go, why, why was Jesus called the Word? Well, in the original language, Greek language, and the Bible was written, or the, the New Testament was written in what they called Koine Greek language, which is the common man's language of the day. Very picturesque, very wonderful communicating language. It says so much more than simply the words that are said. 
But John uses this term here as a way to connect and reach the Greeks, specifically the Gentiles, generally to who Jesus is. See, the Greeks had developed a a philosophy that had been articulated hundreds of years earlier by Plato. And his thought was everything is moving. There's chaos in the world. And one of the thoughts he had is, you know, you, you can't step in the same river twice. Well, it might be the same river, but it's not the same water because everything is moving. And in the midst of all this chaos and movement on the earth, Plato reasoned that everything was simply a shadow of the reality of the logos, the word that existed somewhere in the heavens, holding all the changes and all of the chaos of the world taking place together. And now the Jews, they, they, they took this, this Greek concept a step further, whereas Plato would have said behind everything, there's the perfect thought at work, the logos out there somewhere. Well, the Jews said that behind the thought, there must be a thinker. The Greek would say, well, we don't see perfection logos here on earth, but it's got to exist somewhere. Yes, that's true. There is a perfect thought, uh, in charge, a perfect logos somewhere out there. But the Hebrew would reason, it goes beyond that because there is a perfect thinker that is keeping everything together, moving it forward, bringing control and order to all of this chaos. So John opens this whole statement about Jesus Christ He takes a philosophical thought of the Greek culture and he turns it into an Everest of theological truth. He says, think on this. The one that you're thinking of out there, he is alive. Let me tell you about the Logos, the Word. It's Jesus Christ. And he goes on, the Word here, wherever it says God in, in, in the... New Testament here, at least in this passage, he says the word is is Elohim. And Elohim is the God that he's talking about, which again, traces back to Genesis 1, where we understand that the word Elohim has to do with the plurality of God. It's a clear statement for the Trinity of God, the mystery of the Trinity, where there's God who is three in one. Verse 2, he says... He was with God in the beginning. And he says, through him, all things were made. For without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now begin to see the progression. See, Paul's talking here. And he says, well, you guys see this logos out there. Something out there that is kind of, well, it's kind of, it's, it's chaos, but there's control. We're not sure where it is or what it's doing. But John wants them to know. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. We have an answer to your logos. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says that all things are created by him, and by him all things consisted and are held together. All things. Uh, That means the world. Uh, Paul says in Colossians there in chapter 1, he says the invisible and the visible. God's the one that, he's the logos. He's the one that is in control of everything. 
And if we understand that, what is that? See, that gives sense and purpose to you, to me, to everything we do, why we live, why we're here today, because we have this logos. We have this God who can make sense out of the chaos, who brings control to the things we don't understand. Even though some of it's a lot of mystery, it's still somebody's in control. And Colossians literally says, he is holding it together. By the power of his word, by the power of who he is. And again, they're, they're answering this Greek culture that in that time dealt with another theological uh, misstep in, called Gnosticism. Verses 4 and 5, he goes on and he says, In him, speaking of Jesus, the Logos, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. Uh, the, the, the Greek word here for understood, another way to, to be able to translate that could be extinguish it. The light, the, light, the darkness could not extinguish or overtake the light. It's kind of a powerful thought. Remember at the cross? Remember when Jesus died, he literally gave himself up to the Father, to death. And it says that literally for three hours, darkness fell over the earth. If there was ever time in history when hell thought it won, it would have been at that time, huh? There's darkness. Darkness overcome the light. <laughs> but only for a short time because Jesus came back to life, resurrected on the third day. And there was this, he began to shine again upon the world and in and through the lives and the hearts of men. That's why he's called in Luke 1, He's the day spring on high. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 says he's the bright morning star. It's not going to be extinguished, loved ones. It's there forever. It's been there forever. It's going to be there. He's going to be there forever. But then verse 6, we get to kind of make this transition, and there's an introduction to another John. And it says, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He's talking here now about John the Baptist, not himself. And it says that he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men, catch the word, might believe. Now, John the Baptist, it's really powerful because one of my catchphrases for me right now is a scripture that I'm trying to really kind of allow it to seep into my spirit and soul. John's whole focus was this in John chapter 3, verse 30, when there was beginning to be kind of competition between Jesus' disciples and his and people wondering who is the best, who is the greatest. John simply made this statement. He said, uh, he must increase and I must decrease. See, John understood that he was simply a lamp who was kind of reflecting and giving light or giving focus to the light. It was never about John the Baptist. So everything of his life was about decreasing so Jesus could increase. It was about deflecting, reflecting any light of his life onto the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he did. See, you know, friends... It says here that he came as a witness to testify. And that's what we're to do. That's one of the powerful statements as we're praying in the ready room before here with the worship team. <clears throat> Just some powerful prayers about using us, Lord, during this season to minister to people outside. See, we're not called to be attorneys. 
We're not called to debate and to argue, to convince or to prove. We're called to be witnesses, to share the truth, nothing but the truth, so help others to find God. Isn't that true? See, it's not about being confrontational, argumentative, or proving that we are right. See, I, I got to tell you, I, never, I no longer feel this pressure to cajole, to convince, or to try and convert people. And that's really not my job. I find greater pleasure, not putting pressure on people, but I find greater pleasure in simply sharing what Jesus has done in my life that I could never do myself. What Jesus is doing, well, in Creekside and some of your lives. What a great story that uh, couldn't happen any other way aside from uh, Jesus increasing. We were, we were talking about this on Friday morning in our uh, men's group. One of the brothers just said, you know, I really want to know, where's that line where I move from simply sharing to beginning to put pressure in, 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 in certain areas? We kind of come up with a couple of things. I think that there's a couple of things to understand when you cross that line, when you're no longer a light, when you're no longer witnessing and you're becoming an attorney, a defense attorney that's trying to prove a point. It's when you move from sharing the life of Christ to arguing about the life of Christ. Where you've got to be right. You've got to prove your point. I don't try and do that anymore. I've only, I've only in the, well, let me say, I've been a Christ follower since 1978, I believe. Um, I've, I've only seen, uh, 1976, sorry. Uh, I, I've, never, I've only seen one person that I argued to the faith. So when you move to arguing versus sharing, you probably cross the line to prove your point. When the cause of winning the argument moves beyond caring for the person, you've probably crossed the line and you're no longer a witness for Jesus. When you focus on what you are against instead of what you are for, you probably cross the line. We're for Jesus. And that is always the starting point because of what he's done in and through us. So he gives us his great responsibility and call to be a witness. And John, when you read his, uh, Matthew talks about him in Matthew chapter 3, and one of the opening statements, what was the message of John? John the Baptist had a message, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven. Some of the kingdom of heaven haven't come. No, but the kingdom of heaven had come because the king was there. You, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And so John's message was twofold. The king is here. It's Jesus. The kingdom has come in your midst. Now you've got to deal with it. And his opening words were, this is how you deal with it. You repent. That's not a popular word today. Because we don't want to repent. We'd rather have therapy. And I don't have any problem with therapy, okay? I don't. I, I send people there. I probably need some. Okay? But, but so I, I'm not putting that down at all. But sometimes we focus on that. We, we pursue that at the expense of simply coming before God. And repenting, as John the Baptist called us to do. Because he, he gives us a clear statement. He says, you know, you've got to come. You've got to believe in Jesus. You gotta, the, the, the thing is, is, is he kind of has these ABCs, John does. Oh, they're not enumerated in the scriptures. It's ABCs. But it's really, John the Lamp says, this is really what you do. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to admit your need. See, the quickest way to move from darkness to 
light is to admit you're in the darkness. The best way to find the answer is to admit you don't have any. See, that's why Jesus came. And that's why John the Baptist came as the forerunner, because everything he did was call people to repent and turn to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. See, if our greatest need as people would have been information, God would send an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. And if our greatest need would have been money, he would have sent us an economist. But he knew our greatest need because of our brokenness and because of the darkness in our life. We needed the forgiveness of a holy, pure, perfect God because the strain of sin runs through us since the beginning of the creation of man, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. And so he knew our greatest need was a Savior. And out of his great love, he sends Jesus. And because of that, John knew the message. Repent. So his first thing was, you've got you've to admit your need. And the second thing was believe. John, John pointed Jesus out to his disciples one day. In the same chapter, verse 29, Jesus walks toward him, and this is what he says. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Here he is. He said, you've got to believe. Here's the answer. Then the last thing is when that happens, change begins to take place. See, we, 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 don't, we don't change to come into relationship, God, but because we've come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, there will begin to be change. We will begin to grow into his likeness. And I venture to say, I don't know that if that's not happening that you're really in relationship with him according to the scriptures. Guys, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about when I'm, I'm going to say this. Your, your bride comes home. This is a scary, terrifying thing. You're put on the spot, and the thing you're like, Lord, just take me home now. Because she's going to say three words that will sound something like this. See anything different? Notice any change? God, take me home now. I, you know, because you know, if you don't see it, man, you're probably going to be in a heap of hurt. But you see, that's what happens when we walk with Jesus. We begin to just go, see the change. See what's taking place. And people begin to notice it. You, you, you look different. The Bible calls it transformation. And if that doesn't happen, loved ones, you know, if we're not kind of getting that spiritual makeover, we may want to say, Lord, am I, am I walking with you? There's two important truths here I want you to see as we move to chapter 9. Uh, John says, I am not the light. He, he is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But he says in verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming in to the world. The first truth I want you to see here is that everyone gets to see the light. Everyone. See what it says? The true light that gives light to every man and women. We're talking about humanity. See, the expression of this light is Jesus, that everyone will get to see him, though, in different proportions. See, you and I have an incredible privilege, and, and, and we best not ever forget it, but continually give thanks for it. See, we get to come. Every Sunday, we get to worship, we get to pray, we get to praise. We get to be with the fellowship of people. 
We get to experience the life of God in community. Sometimes it's through our growth groups. Sometimes you're going to work or traveling around during the day and you get to hear great teaching on the radio. See, all of those are revelations of the life and the light of God. Not everybody in the world gets that. But it's critical to understand the context and the place of this scripture. Because there's so many people, and I know that some of you have heard this, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this uh, late in the spring, but one of the big things that people will often say, they will try and castigate or call into question God's character, won't they? Oh yeah, you guys are all Christians, and you say, and you talk about going to heaven, but I really got to struggle with these two thoughts. Number one, you say that Jesus Christ is the only way. Is that true? Well, well, yeah, that's what Jesus said, the author of life, the creator of all the logos that holds all of our chaos together. That's what he says. Well, what kind of loving God then? What about those people that never hear? What about those people, those aborigines over in the, on the backside of uh, Australia? What about the people in the Amazon jungle? What about them? Oh, wow, you would ask about them, wouldn't you? Well, if you're so concerned about them, why don't... No, I wouldn't say that to them, but... <laughs> but see, this is the truth, because those are important questions, and people will often ask them, and I'm sure that some of you, because they have been asked those, but they speak to the heart and the character of God. If he's so loving, why would that happen? Well, there's an answer, because we have to be able to trust God in all areas, don't we? Because if there is a chink in the divine armor in one place... It's probably true in many others. You see, Romans 1 verse 20 says this, man will be without excuse. There will be no excuse for man. But God's character and the scriptures are clear. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10 says that that, that God is not slow as we understand slowness in terms of his return, but he's patient. And he doesn't want to see anyone die. That's why Jesus hasn't come back, because he's still waiting for people to respond. That's what Paul says, as Peter says. Romans 1.19 says that God has shown them the world, humanity. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Psalm 19 says that, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and there's no place on earth where their voice is not heard. So whether a man looks up to the heavens, he can see the attributes of God. Whether he looks around at creation, he can see the handiwork and the imprint of God. What's that mean? Let's break it down. See, it doesn't matter where a man or a woman is. There will be a revelation of God that God can use to speak to their mind, their heart, and into their spirit to bring them into relationship with God. Why is that so important? Well, because it speaks to the character and the heart of God. I can trust his character, and I know he doesn't just love America. He loves the world. He loves every body. Now, this light can be kind of scary, too. <laughs> because you know what light does? Light exposes darkness, doesn't it? And that's what it does. That's why Jesus came, is to take his light to expose the darkness well, of man's life and heart. Have you ever, have you ever had it do that to you? 
kind of sneak up on you and the little shaft of God's light comes and exposes something, it's not fun. I'd probably tell you some of my stories, but I'll pass on that and tell you another one that happened that I thought was really funny. When I was in Bible college, um, uh, this guy, I played basketball with him, and, and we uh, ran, a couple of us guys ran into him at, uh, at a park. We were going fishing, and he was sitting there in his little, you know, one of those little folding chairs. He's just sitting there relaxing and fishing, and I don't think he expected to see us because he had, a, had some beer underneath his chair. And we played basketball with him. He's in Bible college, and uh, they had a rule back then you couldn't drink. And so he said, this is great. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he, we, we walk, hey, Greg, how you doing? And man, he is scrambling to kind of, you know. <laughs> what are you up to, bud? I'm uh, just doing some fishing. And finally, you know, he goes, okay, hey, guys, I hope you're not offended that I'm drinking. And I looked down and I said, well, not really, just that it's Coors. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, and... and uh, and, you know, God, God kind of just, you know, kind of put, put a little light on him there. And that's what God does. But he does it because he loves us and he always wants to, to grow us up. So we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to hide. We get to live before him in the light of his life. And also, just to quickly, you know, his, his light brings healing. You know, one of the things that we use today is laser. If you need healing... You, you come to Jesus, the light, who brings healing to our lives. Well, everyone's going to get a, a portion of that light. Uh, but the other truth is this, not everyone's going to receive the light. Look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Well, who's that? Well, that's the Jews, Jewish people. Uh, they didn't receive him. If you read Mark chapter 6, the first part, you're going to see a very interesting thing. It's really true in some ways. Familiarity begins to breed contempt, doesn't it? Jesus grew up, and he went back to Nazareth for the first time. You know what they said? It's Jesus. Isn't he the son of Mary and Joe? We know his brothers. I mean, I think he probably built some cabinets for me. Messiah? I don't think so. And it says that not only, obviously, his close people didn't receive him, but neither did the nation. Today, Psalm 14 once says that the fool has said there's no God. It's, it's foolish thinking. Like the Jews, people can't comprehend this humble God who comes from heaven, who takes on the garments of humanity to come and die for us. He doesn't come in power because that's what we, you know, we, you know, we're the most powerful nation in the world, the most powerful leader in the world. That's what we're looking for. And Jesus comes in the ultimate garments of humility. Scripture also says there's an enemy of the soul to keep people in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says that, he, that the God of this world has blinded the eyes to the, get this, the light of the gospel. We've got to deal with not only our own foolishness, thinking that we're really smart, but then we've got to deal with, well, the work of the enemy of our soul. And all of us know people who want to engage, they start to engage in this God thing, but so often the darkness and the things of our life begins to overtake the life of Jesus. 
In verse 12, I love this. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's you and me. It's everybody in history who responds and calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. He can be found. He can be received. He has the answers that no other religious group has. We can enter into this glorious relationship with Father God. That's why he came, to reveal the Father to us, so we could see this God that most of us would be afraid of. And as I prayed earlier, that's when we get to rejoice and say, oh, behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Lavished, one translation says, upon us as his children. But it's true, you know, people have different ideas, don't they? Mistaken ideas and thoughts about how to find God, how to establish a relationship with the light. The the person that John is talking about here. Because notice in verse 13 he says, well, he, he gave the right to become children of God. And then verse 13 says, but children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of the husband, or a husband's will, but they're born of God. A couple of things he's saying here. He says, first of all, you, you, you can't come to God on the basis of inheritance. Children born of natural descent. A couple months ago, there was just a precious lady, and I didn't check this out with her. I, so I better not use her name, but um, sweet, sweet lady. I got to pray with her out here in the courtyard one Sunday, she just said, how do I come to Christ? And we just prayed, and she come to Jesus. And since then, she's been growing and loving what God's doing in her life and loving Creekside. And so she's been coming probably for at least a year, maybe two. And so she was talking to somebody about coming to the annual business meeting so she could vote. And uh, here at Creekside Church, we only vote on four things. Uh, but one of the things she was going to come and be a part of and to vote for was the budget, the, the receiving of the annual budget. And so someone said, well, are you a member? A legal, she goes, well, yeah, of course. Well, what she didn't realize is that to become a legal member of Creekside, you got to go through class 101, and then you got to come up here publicly and say, I'm a member. And so she was so disappointed. And so I thought I was a member. I thought, I, you know, I just, I mean, I've been coming here. I love this place. I love what God's doing, blah, blah, blah. But she had never gone through the actual step and the process. Well, she was one of the people that just became a member last week. You know, there's a lot of people that live that way when it comes to Jesus Christ. They they grew up in a Christian home. They grew up and went to church. Christian nation. They were a good person. That has nothing to do, friends, with receiving the light of Jesus. As we often say, um, that, that no more makes you a Christian than if you go and sit in McDonald's that you become a Happy Meal. You know? See, a doctrine of the Bible is the depravity of man. We're all sinners. Romans 3 says there's none who does good, not one. It started with the fall of Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Well, because of God's standards, we're not holy. And we have to be made holy to come into the presence of the Father through the life of Jesus Christ, who is our perpetuation, our replacement of sin. We needed a Savior. See, we're not sinners because we sin. We're, we sin because we're sinners. We're born into depravity. It's a big doctrine. 
That's why we celebrate Christmas, the coming of Jesus, because his coming made a way for us to get beyond it. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I agree with you. I'm not really sure that I'm a depraved person. Well, you don't remember this, but if you're a parent, remember when you had kids? Remember how great they were the first, you know, like maybe six months, and they were this bundle of joy, and you know that they were just the most godly, angelic cherub and seraphim wrapped into one. They were going to be the perfect kid. And then all of a sudden, they, the devil comes into them. And they, and they start screaming, they start yelling, they start crying, they start demanding, they start throwing, they get their little fists clenched. And they do all these bad things. I used to come home and I go, Trina May, honey, what have you been teaching our kids? Because they didn't get this from me. But, but, but you've, you've seen that, haven't you? And that's why we do child dedication here. Because when we dedicate a child, we're really dedicating the family to say, Mom and Dad, you're committing to raise your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But never forget, no matter how well you do, that does not secure them into heaven. There will come a time of accountability when they will have to come to the issue of what does it mean that I am a sinner? And what does it mean that I need a Savior? We're only trying to begin to pave the road for a smooth entry into that. But see, loved ones, you can't, you, you, you don't inherit a relationship with God. You've got to choose it. Secondly, per, per, uh, personal effort and self-improvement plan will never work. Notice what he says here. It doesn't come because of a human decision. Many believe, if I just live a good life, if I work really hard, do good things, do, 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 go to church. Well, that will put me in relationship with the man upstairs. Now, we don't talk about a relationship with the man upstairs. We talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ. The man. The God. So many people spend years trying to keep up. They get on the treadmill of religious effort and activity. But they never have any peace. The issue is not, loved ones, about you do what you do. It's all about responding to the love of God who has done everything. Remember Jesus when he was in the garden? He falls to his knees. He's sweating droplets of blood and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. And the father could have said, wow, Jesus, I wish we would have thought of a, well, let's come up with another plan. Well, what if we do, if people just work their tails off and they do everything that we ask them to do and hopefully their good outweighs their bad. You know, God didn't, a father didn't say that to Jesus. Jesus got up and said, there is no other way. And he went to the cross to die for our sins. Because that was the only way. Not, not, well, I don't know why or how and in, the, in, in the corridors of, of, of divine history, how they come up with that plan, I don't know. But it's God's plan. And when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And when he rose again, it was the seal of truth that says, it is done. All we have to do now, loved ones, is respond to the person of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Christmas. He came for us. Died for us. And you can't get it by personal determination. He says there, it's not a decision of a husband's will. You know, kind of like a husband and wife come together and decide to have a children and come into a birth. You can't just determine, I'm going to, by, by what I do, 
Relationships with God's family doesn't come due to determination of your own or others around you praying for you necessarily, ultimately. Because Romans 3.11 says this, none seek after God. No, not one. Man can't do it on our own. It all starts with God. The bottom line is God chooses. As John 15.16 says that he initiated. How do I know I'm chosen? You're here. You're hearing the message. Somehow today there will be an encounter with the living, loving, gracious person that we celebrate this season. Oh, it may not be some kind of nifty, warm feeling, but it'll be the truth that Jesus loves you, came for you, died for you, resurrected for you, and now lives in heaven for you. If that's all you get today, you're chosen. But guess what? Now you get to respond. See, some people may get to heaven someday and they'll go, well, God, I didn't know. I didn't know about all this. And God will say, well, did you ever celebrate Christmas? Christ, Mass. Break it down. See, if you take away Christ, all you have is Mass. We celebrate Christ. And, and, I, and I don't know that every time we celebrate people that celebrate Christmas and sit around a tree, I don't know if maybe they're not kind of judging themselves. when they stand before God, they won't have an excuse. Now, I'm saying this in a way, listen, this will break God's heart. It's not by determination. No one can will it for you. God is the ultimate gentleman. He will push. He will prod. He will pursue. But he'll never demand. See, he's the Logos, the Jesus, not the baby that we romanticize around the nativity of this season. He is God, Emmanuel, God with us today to now. He stepped into time and space on a rescue mission to save people. This is an incredibly deep thought, yet so simple. We don't understand the ways of God. I don't understand why he set it up this way. I just know that I responded, and my life has never been the same. J.B. Phillips said it this way, if God was small enough to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. And sometimes we have to come to that place. Christmas is not a baby in swaddling clothes, but it's the God who came to live and dwell among those who he loves. So we have to understand this. God has made it so clear through his word and through life. First of all, he's, Jesus is a gift to receive. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, it's through faith. We come to Christ. It's not of yourselves, but it's a free gift. Why? So nobody can boast. So nobody can stand up and go, oh, look what I did. I finished the finish line, and I got more Christian credits than you did. You know? It's not about that at all. Paul said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Wow! We get to exchange a pay warrant of death for a free gift that's everlasting, eternal. The perfect gift. We'll never return it. We can't earn it by works, but we can receive it by faith. Nothing we could have done could ever earn it. God says, here it is. Some receive it, some don't, but it's a gift. Secondly, it's a door to enter through. John 10, Jesus is talking to some religious people, and he says, listen, I'm the door. You enter 
through me. It's as simple as opening the door and walking through. It's not brain surgery. Open, walk to him. He says, it's a home to return to. Luke chapter 15, most of us know this story. I love this song. One of my favorite Christmas songs, I'll be home for Christmas. I got to tell you, I look forward to that day. I'll be home for Christmas. My ultimate home isn't here. It's that place that Jesus has gone to prepare. But while we're here, see, there's probably people in this room, you've experienced a relationship with God to some degree at some point in your past. You walked away, went your own way. You've done your own thing, and you moved away from God. You know it. You've experienced some heartache, some heartbreak. And I just, maybe it's time for you to come back home today. Jesus tells one of the most beloved stories in history of literature. The story of a son, a prodigal, runs away from his father, demands his inheritance, says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. He runs, ends up in the pit of despair and brokenness, comes to his senses, and he says, I need to get back to my daddy's home. I've been away long enough. And what's so powerful for me about the story is, is you see the father waiting watching every day to get a glimpse of his returning son. That's called the love of God. And if you're a dad, you know that. See, coming home means I'm back where I should be. I'm back where I don't deserve to be all the time, but I'm always loved and accepted, cared for, comforted, and challenged to become my best. What I was created for. Maybe somebody's here today. You've got to return. And the last picture is somehow someone. He is someone, Jesus, the Logos, the light, is someone you invite in. You open the door to and invite in. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man wants to come in and sit, have dinner with me, intimacy, I'm there. The, the, the picture, an uh, artist drew a picture of this. I can't remember his name, but you'll see it. It's like a garden and beautiful picture, and you see Jesus standing outside this door. What you, if you look closely, what you'll notice is there's no doorknob on the outside. Why is that? It's because Jesus doesn't open it. You open it and invite him in. Well, that's Jesus away from the manger. Where are you today? As the worship team comes, uh, I want you to just think for a moment, and if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads and think of these three things. Maybe it's time for you to accept and to receive the gift, to walk through the door. Maybe for some of you, it's time to come back home. You've kind of moved away. You've allowed some things to kind of move you away. And the Father's standing today just saying, I just, I'd like for you to come home. Are you ready? And maybe for most of us, Jesus would graciously nudge you to say, it's a season, it's time to be a lamp. You're not the light, but you're a lamp. Point people to Jesus the great lover of our soul. Just take a moment to pray and think about where you are. Every one of us will fit in one of these categories.
morning, I'm going to ask you to respond. It's something I ask you to bow your heads and give people a sense of privacy. Is there anybody here today that would say, Terry, I, I, I really have not. I've gone to church and I know about God, but I've never really stepped across that line and said, I want to receive you. I want, I want to walk through the door. I want to open up the door of my heart. Maybe you have never done that today or in the past, but today it's the great season to do that. And if that would be you, I just want to ask you to simply raise your hand up. Scripture says that we need to confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, which basically means to tell somebody. And if you've never done that, I invite you today to do that. Would you just slip your hand up so I can see you? And let me know that if you've never done that, I'd love to just see your hand and be able to pray with you today. Is there anybody here that has never said, I, I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Just give you a second, raise your hand. Is there anybody here today that would say, I've kind of moved away from God. I'm not as close to him as I know I should be. I'm in some areas I know I shouldn't be in. And I want to just ask you to raise your hand and hold it up for a second so that I can just be praying for you and ask God to speak to you this week. Would you just hold up? I just want to see. Just catch my eye, would you, so I can see who you are. And I just want to see. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I see you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I see you there. Anybody else? Okay, yeah, I see you back there. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, honey. See you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? How many of us would say, I need to be a light? I need to be a lamp that leads people to the light. Would you just raise your hand? It's time for me to be a light. I want to I want to be a lamp that shines forth Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of us. Amen. I would hope that would be in every one of our hearts. We'd say, I'm going to become intentional and look at people. The love of Jesus. Father, we come today. It's possible, Lord, that there are people that don't know you here that, well, they're hearing, but they're not ready to receive. And that's all right. Or others who might be a little embarrassed to raise their hands. That's all right, too. I ask that you would make this day real to them. Let this be the day that they would understand simply what it means to come into a relationship with you beyond going to church doing good things. It's about a Savior. But for those who raised their hand and said, I, I'm not as close to Jesus as I want to be, or maybe I've moved into some areas I don't want to be, I pray, Lord, you would lovingly expose the light to that darkness and bring them back lovingly, graciously, firmly. Let them see you, not as the Heavenly Father that's pointing out every bad thing they do or every wrong thing they've done, but the Heavenly Father that simply... His fingers aren't pointing, but his arms are outstretched, waiting for him to come home. And Lord, continue to galvanize our church, to, to uh, imprint our, the DNA of our church into our community because we come as lamps to Jesus Christ. Not lights. You're the light, but we come as lamps. And we're committed, Lord Jesus, not to argue about you or to argue for you, but to simply tell your story and our story and to love people where they are. Thank you, Lord, for a congregation that will do that. Lord, as we begin to move now toward Christmas, every less than two weeks away, God, let us fall more in love with you because of what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to help you on this journey. 
One of the ways that, that we're doing that uh, with you and for you uh, is uh, our growth group sign-ups begins today. Our growth groups begin uh, January 9th and run through the end of February. Uh, each of you received a, a um, catalog. We've got 18 groups to choose from. And uh, they are there and we are there to help you grow in this journey with Jesus uh, to grow closer to Him. So please take a look at those. We would love to have everybody uh, here today be plugged into a growth group. We've got uh, men's groups, women's groups, young adult groups, young singles groups. Uh, we've got uh, a spiritual formation group uh, that's called Monvi. Uh, here a few weeks ago, we sent out a, an email to everybody, and we had a huge response of people that said, Yeah, you know what? I would love to grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus. Um, and one way to do that is through a, an, a program that we're developing or rolling out now called Monvi. Uh, we've got a couple of days for you to come check that out. This Tuesday night at 6.30, we'll be in the, uh, the children's room over there. And then next Sunday um, at 10.15, so those of you who come to first service, come to first service, don't leave early because we'll do one at noon. Um, so we have 10.15 and noon next Sunday also. So just to check that out, see what it is. It's an online deal. Uh, great, great stuff. I've been doing it for a couple of months now. And honestly, truly, I'm not lying. It's really helped me grow in my walk with Christ as well. So just want to encourage you to check that out. Uh, also, probably the most important announcement, uh, we do not have church on the 26th of December. So uh, make sure you know that. If you show up here, worship outside the gate, knock yourself out, go home. Right? So as our guest services team comes, you uh, had the opportunity to maybe fill out your connection card. There's an opportunity to register for our growth groups on that. For those of you who are committed to the ministry here at Creekside, we ask that you prepare to give back to God a portion of what He's given to you. Um, all of your year-end giving has to be in our office by the 31st of December to be counted toward 2010. The one thought I want to leave you with today, and it comes out of Pastor Terry's message, don't be a happy meal. Right? <laughs> Don't be a happy meal. I love that. You have to choose Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. Creator God, we love you and thank you. Uh, we have heard your voice through our pastor and leader this morning, God. Now allow us to choose you, to choose to grow in you, to choose to walk with you closer each day, especially as we focus on this season. God, we love you and we seek your face. For it's in Christ name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand with us as we continue to worship in song.
You guys are loved. Have a great day today. From now